Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one Best big in the league and it's no debate Booze from the haters, point him to the exit I guess every franchise needs his process Every franchise needs its own process Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray Hit you with the jab, step, knock down, lock from Ben Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it Yeah, homie, let the fans know it Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye if you mess, you better get back Cause if them bees, there won't be a putback Keep all that trash out of the paint Cause them bees will put it back in your face He's a cold-blooded killer And he take no prisoners Yeah, dump off from TJ Call it the feed to him, B Going on, everybody? Welcome to the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Krell, along with my partner brock landis brock you can find him on twitter at landis brock how are we doing today my, my i'm good doing all right austin i appreciate you having me yes. you say that like as if we as if you're not the co-host and the and, and the, the, well, usually the way it goes like i say is you facilitate you're the you're, you're the floor general of the podcast you ask the questions you check the chat you 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 give me the plot points i just show up and do brock landis I am the Mike Connolly of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And for anyone that doesn't know, uh, Austin and I last episode had a passionate argument uh, about Mike Connolly as to why he's not an all-star, in my opinion, in Austin's opinion, why he was an all-star, and ultimately uh, he didn't make it. I'm not. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a validation guy. I don't need to toot my own horn. Um, but it was a fun debate. So if you didn't watch it, make sure to check the last episode out. Right. That's right. Well, we do have a lot to discuss since that last episode. Sixers go, uh, I believe, what? They go one and They go, let's see, two and one, two, two and two. One, against, two, one and one against Toronto. They beat Dallas. So that would be uh, two and one. And then they lose to Cleveland. So two and right. two since that podcast. Right. So <laughs> let's just dive into that Toronto series real quick. Yeah. Well, I guess this would be the Tampa series. Um, <clears throat> the I think for me, just they couldn't make a shot and down the stretch of that fourth quarter. And I mean, how how often do you see teams that are like, you know, the t- teams that are playing playoff level teams? How often do you see them go through like a seven eight minute dry spell without a field goal in, a, in the fourth quarter, and they end up pulling that game out? It doesn't happen. You have to make shots down the stretch to beat you know playoff level teams, and they just didn't make shots down the stretch of that game. I think Tobias was like one of nine from three that game. Um, yeah. uh, you know they, they just they had open looks, they just didn't make them. Um, but you know I. I thought their ball movement was was generally fine, and I think as long as you have good ball movement, you're you're going to live with you know the shots that you get, even if they're misses from deep. Um, I, you know, I I I just think some day, some day, some games you can live and die by that, and other games it's just sort of not an amalgamation, but a, a, you know a a coming together of all of the things that have sort of compounded over the course of a season. And I think right now we're starting to start, we're starting to get one of the central themes of this team is that not only do they miss threes, but they'll have games where they, where they'll, they'll have a, you know, at least a game a week where they're four of 20 from, from, from deep and heading into the fourth quarter. And so they're not, they're not taking enough threes, they're not making enough threes. And now it's becoming like a part of their identity where like this team is just not a high volume shooting team. They also don't make a high volume of threes. And I, I think it's starting to hurt them a little bit. Well, for me, I think the Toronto series was very telling and heading into the series, you've got one of, if not the hottest teams in basketball in Toronto. I think they were second in almost every major statistical category. So they had the second best record, the second most points, second most threes made, etc. It's a hot team, and the difference between Toronto and any other team in the league 
is their defensive rotation. Everyone kind of moves on a string. So no matter what happens, if they double, if they triple, if there's a scramble, there will be a Raptor getting out on a shooter. And that's important because they're applying pressure. They're doubling. And then if you do have an open look, there's going to be a closeout. So you have to capitalize on those open opportunities. That's the most important thing. Now, with a team like Philly, their attack is bully ball. It's a very simple attack. We don't think you can guard Embiid one-on-one. We don't think you could guard Tobias one-on-one. And we don't think you could guard Ben one-on-one in space. Now, whoever's going to get double teamed, it's up to them to find the open shooter. If they don't find the open shooter, put it into the hands of a player around the perimeter and let them swing the rock. The Sixers have the second most passes in all of basketball. The movement is there. And even with a team like Toronto that has this tight defensive rotation, they still had to scramble because they got a double Joe. They got a double Ben. They got a double Tobias. Joe only made six shots from the post in both games combined. But here's what these games came down to. In the first one, the Sixers missed 10 three-pointers out of double teams. That's the game right there. Curry, Tobias, you alluded to it. They both had uncharacteristic shooting nights. The second game against Toronto, they made nine first-half three-pointers made. They're 12-0 this season, undefeated in the 12 games where they have six or more first-half threes. So you might think, what's the correlation between making six first-half threes or more and winning? For the Sixers, well, here's what it is. If teams double Joe, if they double Ben, if they double Tobias, I just told you there'll be open shots. If the Sixers come out early and hit those open shots, they set the tone. If the Sixers make those shots, there's implications. It means either defensively you got to double those three Sixers less or you're just going to keep giving up threes. And if the Sixers are hitting them, they're going to continue to create separation on the scoreboard. So I think this series was very telling. I'm not worried about Joel Embiid at all. Uh, It was a very tough physical matchup for him. Aaron Baines is still seven feet tall. He's still got a 7'2", 7'3", wingspan, and he's not a pushover. Uh, He's an Aussie, and there's an Aussie, two of them on the Sixers, and you know that they're probably two or three of the strongest guys in the club. Uh, So it it was a tough physical series for Joe, but otherwise I thought Philly did pretty well. They responded to those those doubles and triples and bounced back in the second game. And Ben Simmons is is just a ball player. It's that simple, Austin. Ben Simmons is a hooper. You're muted. You're muted. It's like I'm in Zoom class. This is what they got to do every time I'm in class. They got to remind me I'm on mute. So I I think, like you said, that, that they missed how many threes out of doubles? Was it 10? Yeah, 10, yeah. And you said it was an uncharacteristic uh, performance. Mm-hmm. I think like, one of the things there that – my like my point is, I don't know that it's so uncharacteristic anymore because even though Seth Curry is like you know the league leader in three point percentage or whatever it is, um, and you know Tobias Harris is shooting forty one point one percent, Danny Green is still leading the team in three point attempts per game and that therefore volume at six per game and he's leading by over a shot. Per, per, per game. So Curry's only taking four and a half threes per game. Tobias Harris is shooting 4.1 per game. The percentages are good, but they're not like, like if you give them the volume, it hasn't been pretty, you know, on, on those and uh, from time to time there. And I think, you know, last night you saw it and we'll get into last night's game too, but um, I, I, I just, I, I think that the percentages kind of tell a different story than like what the fact is, is that they have like a, they have some timid three point shooters besides Danny Green. Um, Tobias isn't really shooting them that much anymore. Um, Seth isn't really shooting them as much as he should. And I, I, I you know, look, when those are your main three point shooters, uh, your volume isn't going to be that isn't going to be where it needs to be. And, I think one thing that Toronto game just kind of taught me that first game was that number one, like, okay, they, 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 they went on the stretch without making a shot that that's going to happen from basketball time to time. Um, the good thing is that they get to the line a lot and yeah. that kind of was their saving grace. Uh, and why the Raptors weren't able to completely pull away with that game, even though it was a game the Sixers should have won. I also thought that that was a game where they kind of played down to the level of competition 
because I mean, after the game, I straight out, I straight up asked Tobias Harris about it, and I and I, and I said, you know, like, at what point do you get on? Do you, do you decide? Okay, we got to give Chris Boucher a, a, a little extra attention because he's made two, three, four threes in a row, and he was like, yeah, we should have gotten out there uh, after the second. So clearly, they 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 kind of weren't focused on the task at hand in that game at some points, and. I think that they just kind of, you know, the, the energy, and I think, you know, I'm not saying Joel hasn't given great energy all season. Like, he, he's obviously been unbelievable. Like, he's been, you know, energy has not been a problem for him this year like it was last year or even in the past where he, you know, he turns the ball over a lot, misses some shots, doesn't get a call, and you can just see him kind of, like, pack it in. Like, he's been great all season long, but I also thought that with him unable to make a shot, the rest of the team kind of just sort of, like, didn't really take it upon themselves to bail, you know, to, to, to bail out when, when he had a bad game. Um, and, you know, I do want to give the Raptors credit for one thing in that game. Um, they've kind of perfected um, the art of defending Joel Embiid in that they'll send an extra help defender over at the very last second. Oftentimes it's Fred Van Vliet, but they'll, like, Joel will get the ball on a deep catch. And typically those deep catches are money for him. Like it's over. You don't, you're, you're, it's an automatic deposit. Um, with Fred, the Raptors will send Fred Van Vliet over at the last second and he'll put an aggressive slap down on the ball. Yeah. And, and Embiid's not seeing it. And so it ends up being like going off of his foot or, or like he turns it over. It doesn't get a shot off. And then it happens once or twice. And suddenly he thinks to himself, I have to move faster here. I got to get up with the shot much quicker. And then he's sort of rushing shots that he was missing a lot around the rim this whole week. And, and it was certainly the case in the Toronto series, but I think the Raptors have figured out a way to sort of, to sort well, of limit him in some ways. I, I, here's what I'll say, right. To your first point, love Fred Van Vliet. I, I thought he should have, should have been an all-star. I mean, he's six. Right. One. He's a whole bit shorter than Embiid. So he, he's a dog. He's going to get in there and give Embiid problems when he's not expecting it. But, uh, Toronto gets a lot of credit because their defensive rotations are awesome. I mean, you've got a double as soon as Embiid touches the ball, and then they'll have a player run across the length of the entire half court to get out on a shooter, and the defense just rotates based according to that. The thing I saw was that Toronto didn't want Embiid to get into a rhythm, and they made that clear from the first game, which continued all the way until the fourth quarter of the second game, the Sixers – they, they, they play bully ball in Toronto, did not want them to beat them with Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons bullying them. <clears throat> so what they did was just send these double blitzes at Embiid as soon as he touched it. And instead of him getting positioning or getting new spots where he's automatic, they were forcing him into making quick decisions and turning him into an accurate passer. That's what Embiid to ha- had to turn into. I mean, so uh, doubles coming – you got to kick that ball and hope your players can make those shots or swing it. Accurate passer. That's um, what. That, what's going on there? We all right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but nonetheless, Philly responded well to the rotation. It's I, I don't think Toronto has Embiid figured out. No, no team will stop Embiid. Embiid had two of his worst shooting performances of the season against Toronto, and his third against Dallas. The Sixers went two of one in those games, but. Embiid had a tough physical matchup against Baines. The Sixers had their second and third highest totals of three-pointers attempted in the Toronto game. So what that tells me is the shots are there. Embiid was making the right passes out of the double teams, but the Sixers just couldn't capitalize. And that was the story of the first game compared to the second. First game, they missed 10 threes out of doubles. The second, they make nine first-half threes. So the proof is in the pudding. The Sixers have the talent and the size to beat anybody or at least compete with anybody other than I'd say Brooklyn, the Lakers and the Clippers, maybe the Sixers have two of the three best players on the floor at all times. If you look at Phoenix, if you look at Utah, if you look at Boston, if you look at Denver, all of the contending teams outside of Brooklyn, the Lakers, and maybe the Clippers, I think the Sixers have two of the three best players. You add Tobias, who's 20 a game on 50% shooting about, they're going to bully teams and, and, and you can't match up with that. Right. But what has to happen is the Sixers got to hit those threes when the shot opportunities are there. When the number advantages are in favor of them, when the threes are there, they got to hit them. So for me, it's not a lack of volume. 
It's just if you only have 10 threes a game that you got to hit, you got to hit at least seven of them. You got to hit at least eight of them. And that's what the good teams do. That's what Brooklyn, what Utah, that's what the Clippers do. The Sixers right now are at about 34% there. So Austin, I think once they start to capitalize and hit those threes, they're blowing teams out. The problem is, are Danny Green and Seth Curry the players to consistently do that for Philadelphia? Uh, yeah, like you know, I, I think I think you you know make some some really good points there. Um, I I just I that Toronto game. I, I I thought there was like a lot of underscoring sort of components of that game that are problematic for this team. Um, you know, and until they make some moves, but. Let's move on to the next Toronto game. Uh, well, no, let's move on to the to, to the Dallas game. But before, we do, before we do that, um, before we do that, we're going to check in on, on on some of our of our fans. Kevin says, "Hey, <laughs> thanks for stopping by, Kevin." Um, ben Butler, morning from Aussie. Ben Go. usually hits a three to finish. What a season! How about that? <laughs> you know what, bro? You know what. Here's what I took away from that, okay? And, and a lot of people turn into therapists and sports psychologists and yeah. shock doctors when Simmons shoots. But here's what I took away from this, honestly. Uh, Simmons pulled up and hit that shot with ease. That was enough space to get the shot off, hit it. It was money. It, it was water. Here's what I think. Simmons for three seasons has been telling the media, telling the fans, telling everyone until he's sick and blue in the face then I'm a high IQ basketball player. What I try to do is generate the highest percentage shot on the floor, whether that's a Danny Green three, a Tobias cutting layup, a Joe mid-range, whatever it is, Simmons is trying to generate the highest percentage shot on the floor when he's facilitating. What that shot told me was that he can shoot, the form is there, and it's in his game. But he doesn't think that he needs to use it right now because there's a higher percentage shot on the floor. And in my opinion – that's what a smart basketball player would do. That's what a Magic Johnson would do. That's what a Scottie Pippen or a Jason Kidd would do. Ben thinks, I probably can shoot at three, but if I'm only going to make it at 28 30%, why waste the possession when I can give a guy that shoots 38 40% a higher chance to make it? That's what that shot told me. Damn, he just had, he just left a comment. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, ben Butler Ben Butler's a, a, a good fan. He usually shows love on, on my channel and the Painted Lines as well, so – Justin, I bet I thought you enjoyed that one. Much Justin love. says, OMG, are you guys famous? Can I get your autographs? Always. If you come to me for an autograph and ask for it, I will be taken aback by it. But I'll also – well, this, is, this is a big day for you, Krell, right? So you're on the beat. JP's asking for autographs, and now I'm interviewing you for my class project as a sports media professional. This is a big day for you. The only thing that can make this better is that blue check for you on Twitter you've been, you've been longing for. That's right. Yeah, still working uh, for that for going you. To, going back to what Ben Butler says, can I just tell you, I I don't have any kind of like sourced information on this or like anyone whispering this to me. I just think that like what this season has showed us, like think about how quickly with Sam Cassell, Ben is like turned into like an okay post player. Okay. You know, he, he, he's deadly. Time. He's deadly in the post. A good post player. Clearly, if he puts in the work, he can do it. I, I think this season has taught me that the three-point shot, he's he's done a good job of spicing up some videos in the past, but I, I don't know that I've believed so much that he's ever really worked on it in the way that people have, think he has. I, some people think he has, at least. To your point about the post game, I mean, Simmons is up to a career-high 56% on hook shots. So he's making almost six out of every 10 hook shots. And from the post in the past month, he has the second highest field goal percentage. He's over 70% from the post. So right now what you're seeing is a 6'9", 6'10 guy that plays point from his position, growing into his body and understanding, okay, I have a mismatch every time I touch the ball. It's time to attack that. Let's get busy. And I think it's an entire sum of things. So you mentioned Sam Cassell. I was talking to my dad, and, and he kind of helped me come up with this. But Doc played over a decade in the league. When Magic was in his prime, Doc played specifically against Magic. Sam Cassell caught Magic in his last season. Popeye Jones played against Magic in Magic last season. He was 36, but nonetheless, they both saw him. And Dan Burke, who's also a Sixers assistant head coach, was an assistant coach out West 
for Magic's last three seasons. Doc said on film uh, that Ben reminds him of Magic, and that was three years ago. So right now you're seeing a coaching staff that has Ben's development in their hands, and it's real hands. It's not Brett Brown and, and the other guys that were in charge of things last year. These are real former basketball players, real basketball geniuses that have Ben's development in their hands, and they're tapping into that potential. For sure. Uh, Jay Digga says Ben should start taking those shots on nights. Our shooters are struggling like Seth was last night. I had to, when I read his name, I had to like pause for a second to make sure that it actually said D and not something else. Cause I was like, I don't want to oh, listen, man, you make that mistake. I'm hitting this leave studio button. Uh, yeah, I, I, wanna, I really don't want to drop that by accident. Have, have yeah. a really, really good name. That. Thank God. Uh, it said, it said that not something else. Um, but no, I mean, he definitely shouldn't start taking, <laughs> start taking threes, threes like that. Um, he, I, I, I just, what's the value in that? I, I don't, I don't see the value. That, in that. That's my point. When Ben says he's trying to get the higher percentage shot, if Ben thinks he's only going to make three point shot at 32, 34% success, uh, why not give it to a guy that's maybe going to hit it with 38, 42% success. Uh, so on those nights where the Sixers shooters aren't making their three-point shots, uh, there, there's no substitute. You just have to hit those shots. If teams are going to double and sell out defensively, you need to make them pay. There's no substitute. Yeah. Um, I just don't think like seeing other guys taking, th- taking and missing threes is a reason for Ben Simmons to suddenly think, oh, well, I should do this too. Like, like I, 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 don't, I don't understand why – or no, I don't. Let me rephrase. I I don't think that would be a wise train of thought for Ben Simmons to follow. Um, no, but Austin, a wise train of thought before we get to Justin's comment would be getting your hands on one of these things. All right? <laughs> this is a King Cobra, and if you like shotgunning beer, this is right up your alley. If you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, you got to check my boys out at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole. But this thing right here, and just one. Second or less, it's also a tab polar vent puncher and fits all on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on IG at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K for a 10% discount on all products. Enter the code Trust the Cobra 10. All caps, one word. Pick yours up today. That's right. Um, Justin Persichetti says something you see is when Ben is had a mismatch prior to this year, he would still look to pass. Yeah, no, I agree. Now he looks, yeah, he's, he's been, he's been really good at that this year and sort of sniffing out those opportunities and executing them. That's for sure. Um, Yeah. Look at Brock with the Adderie. He says, like a pro. Uh, We'll get back to the questions in a little, and the comments in a little bit. Jamison Taylor says, Hey guys, thank you for stopping by Jamison. We appreciate you. Um, Let's go to the Dallas game, and obviously, I, th- I think Ben. Uh, I think Ben clearly got up for that game. Uh, Joel continued to struggle a little bit. Uh, it's it's not always that like the athletic bigs or the bruising bigs pose a problem for Joel. A lot of times, it's just like the taller guys with the with the long hands like Boban has. Those are those can be problematic for him too, and it makes sense. I mean. If you if the longer arms you have, the better you'll be able to contest the shot, no matter what the guy does with the ball on the ground. Um, but uh, Joel kind of struggled still in this game, and this was really the, the Ben Simmons, um, you know, fest. He, I thought he just came out and he gave Luca very little space. There were a couple times when like they, they let Ben sort of take a break and play played him off of Luca, but Luca came back and would hit like shot would hit threes to sort of bring Dallas back into it. As soon as they put Ben back on him, he was silent. I think he had four turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? Three threes he made? No, he didn't make any threes. He made three buckets, but but no threes. He missed yeah. all of them. Yeah. Um, that's right. He was 0 of 3. Um, and at, what was he, like 107, I want to say? Three. Three, three, of, three of seven. Four misses, four turnovers. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, Ben did a fabulous job um, on, on, on Luca. What did you see there? What I saw was, was Ben clamping up, and, and that's 
an incredible thing that we can look at Ben and, and look at somebody on the schedule and just think, well, we've got a defensive player that's just going to completely neutralize them. What I saw with Ben and, and also the Sixers was taking Luca's dribble away and making him uncomfortable. So uh, Luca didn't hit any threes, and that's the third all-star that Simmons held with three or less buckets in a single game in the month of February alone. It was Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, and Luca. So Ben has gone through a den of monsters, and he's completely neutralized them. Luca. You mentioned had four turnovers. He also had four turnovers against Ben last season, and it was his highest total first-half turnovers all season this year. What happened was the Sixers were doubling on screens. They were either hedging or doubling. Uh, so what you're doing there is you're keeping Ben Simmons on Luka, and you're bringing your big up to take that dribble away. So it was as simple as that. Either make him pick his dribble up and pass, put the ball into the hands of his teammate, or, or just make him make bad decisions, and that's why he had so many turnovers. The Sixers just applied a lot of pressure, and when you've got two guys that are seven feet tall hawking you down, <laughs> it, when, when you've got two guys seven feet hawking you down all the time, it, it's tough to get into a rhythm, and they kept Luka out of rhythm the entire night. Ben Simmons, Austin, I'm running out of things to say. I mean, you, you, you've, been, you've been pretty supportive of Ben for the better half of a year, two, two years now. Um, but I, I don't think anybody has been more supportive of Ben through good and through bad than I have been. I would agree and with that. It, it's just beautiful to see everything materializing. And for me, it, it never came from a place of like misguided potential. Like I never saw something in Ben that I didn't think he couldn't do. I didn't see a guy that's going to be pulling up, taking mid range J's and people's mitts. I saw his athletic Ability, what he brings on the basketball floor, how he contributes every way. And if he can do that to his best ability every night, he's one of the most impactful players in the league. And I just think it's super important that Joel Embiid had three of his worst shooting performances all season, two games against Toronto and the one against Dallas. And yet the Sixers still came out of it two and one. That's telling me that the guys around Joe are getting better. All right. And Ben in the past month, 20 points per game, seven rebounds, seven assists, two steals a game. He's getting to the line six times a game, making about 70% of his three throws in the past couple of games. I think five or six is up to like 25 points a game, nine free throw attempts at almost 80%. So what you're seeing with Simmons is just him comfortable in an environment. You've got a ton of coaches breaking his game down to his science, and they're just making it easy for him to play. They're not complicating the game. And Ben is just letting the game come to him and just dominating that way. And I think it's really important to give us give Ben his flowers right now because he's hooping. I mean, him and Joe have like a 120 offensive rating in the first half and like a 14 net rating. Like they're beating opponents by 14, 15 points in the first halves of most games because of how good this duo is playing together. So they've completely changed the narrative. And I love that after this game, Ben Simmons gets up on national TV and starts talking shit with his chest. He tells Shaq, Chuck, Ernie, Anybody you can criticize Ben and who has criticized Ben, I'm the best defensive player in the league. I can guard one through five. I have a high IQ. And you guys know if you can hoop, you can hoop. That's all I wanted to see out of Ben. Do you think he can guard one through five? Because I don't. I think he can guard one through five with an asterisk, right? He, he can guard one through four without a doubt. One through yeah. four, he, he'll have no problem with uh, one through five is a little different. I think there's centers that might have a little more muscle than he does and, and, and are just more uh, better post technicians than Ben is a post defender. Uh, so when you get those couple of bigs like AD or Nikola Jokic, maybe even Rudy Gobert down low, Ben would have a tough time. But against the center like Aaron Baines, uh, Ben looks strong. So so there, there's an asterisk next to that five. But one through four is no question. Yeah, for sure. Um, Felix says, just to give you guys some love from Argentina, you guys are very good at what you do. We do appreciate wow. that. Very, very kind of you. I wonder how we would fare down in Argentina. Do you think, do you think we'd be famous in Argentina? I think we could, I think we could be. I, <laughs> I think, think we're already famous over in Australia, bro. I, I think I'm famous <laughs> in Australia already. It'd be, it'd be hilarious. Like one day I go to visit one of these countries and I'm like, like there with my family and all of a sudden someone runs up to me <laughs> Like, I know you from the podcast. Austin Krell. I know you from the feed to Embiid. Yeah. You're like, the hell's wild. wrong with you for watching it? <laughs> That'd be wild. Um, let's talk about that Dallas game. So Josh Richardson is exactly who he was last year. I mean, 
Um, I, 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 one of my pet peeves with, with, with athletes, like I don't have many, but one of them is when, when someone starts complaining about accountability or role when they're not even that good of a player. Like last year, Josh Richardson was going off about how like there's no accountability, there's this, there's that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, who's going to hold you accountable for not being able to dribble, but over dribbling and making terrible decisions and just not even being remotely as good as, as, as you thought you were. Um, so, I mean, I, I, listen, he dribbles through traffic aimlessly. He has no idea where he's going with the ball. Most of his, his best possessions are like him pulling up for like a free throw line jumper. Um, I mean, he, he's just not nearly the player that, that I think he thinks he is or that he was after he left Miami. I don't know, man. You've always said this about Jay Rich, right? And I feel you like, I'm not with all the complaining stuff too, but I just think with Jay Rich, it's like he had a point. Ben on national TV said there's accountability this year. Joel Embiid said there's accountability this year. Doc is making sure everyone knows their role and there's accountability top to bottom. Tobias Harris on his ESPN interview a week or two ago said there's accountability. So it's true. There was little to no accountability last year compared to this season. It's night and day. You've got – a president of basketball ops that knows what he's doing and he understands the winning culture. Uh, one of the most winningest uh, president of basketball ops in the game in the past decade. We've got Doc Rivers, who's been in a basketball locker room for 30 years, Sam Cassell, Dan Burke, Popeye, et cetera, et cetera. So there was an accountability problem. And a main reason why they're winning this year and doing so well with chemistry is because they're all being held accountable. So Jay Rich had a point. Uh, I don't think he was wrong to complain about uh, Brett Brown and the lack of accountability. Uh, But, yeah, Jay Rich as a basketball player is exactly who we know and thought he was. Uh, His game is just dependent on other players. He's not necessarily an individual contributor. Someone someone I remember told me that they were like, yeah, he's going to be an all-star. And I'm thinking, like, like, you're talking about the same guy? (laughs) Not not the Josh Richardson I know. No, No, definitely not. Um, and just like it shows how bad of a fit he was in here in Philly, because he just was not even close uh, to what they needed. And then you, you're exactly right. He needs others to be like really good to be for in order for him to be good. He can't be into he can't be good independent of others. And they needed him to sort of be that guy, which he wasn't. Um, now let's go real quick. Um, I thought like in that Dallas game, I mean, Danny Green's hitting those threes. Danny Green now from the corners is slowly becoming the guy that you kind of trust the most from three, which is terrifying. Um, I mean, him, whenever he gets the ball in the corners, my feet kind of like squeeze themselves a little bit. I, I don't know. Like, my, my toes, my toes, like, like you know how you, like, you, like, you flex your toes like that sometimes? Yeah, yeah, they do that whenever he shoots the three. Because I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm okay, I'm confident this is gonna go in, and then it, it does. With everybody else, I'm like, oh, I don't know, and I'm kind of like, I'm just, I'm sort of like, eh. <laughs> whenever, whenever, whenever they shoot. Um, but that game, like, I think, I think, I think Jimmy Lynam did really said this well last night. And shout out, to, shout out to Coach Jimmy. I, if there's anyone I could have a beer with, it would be Jimmy Lynam. He's he just that's that's tragic. He just sounds like the man. He just sounds like the absolute man. Okay. Jimmy Lyon with the classic Philly accent. I love it. Um, but he was saying, like, you push the pace and, um, you know, you, you really work down that shot clock. And when you do that, it makes it way harder for half-court defenses to function properly because they're expending energy trying to keep you, you know, contained. And if you're not wasting shot clock, there that means that they're able to get back on offense and pressure more. And what? It's almost like I've been saying this for two years. The Sixers have been top ten since 2015 in shot clocks in, in attempts very early in the shot clock. If you're not taking time off that shot clock, if you're just coming down and chucking threes, you, you don't have an offense. There is no offensive structure. Now the Sixers have an offense. And you know what their identity is? They're going to bully the shit out of the other team. So let me ask you this then: What are they this year in, in shots taken early in the shot clock? 
I think they're still they're, they're still up there, but the volume is a little different. So they're still one of one of the teams with the highest frequency there, but the volume's different. The type of shots are different. Um, those shots, I think, are, are mainly just Ben pushing pace and getting guys open in three, or Tobias doing the same uh, because they're some of the most productive players in transition. But what you don't see is like Shake Milton or Joel Embiid just dribbling down the court and, and shooting a three. You you very rarely see that this season. Yeah. But like I, I thought, they they generally did a really good job against Dallas of kicking ahead. Um, you know, in transition, they got really open looks, and I'll rarely fault a three in transact in transition if it's like okay, there's one guy back and you're kicking ahead to a shooter because that's really basically just one on one basketball. Um, if it gets to like three or four on one, like it was with the Nuggets the other night, and they lost that game. Um, that was our guy too, Campazzo or, or, or Facundo. Facundo, bro. They, that was they, our they, guy. They call him Faku or Faku, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, ooh, that's a little tight. I don't know if I can get away with that on the air. Um, but uh, they call him Faku, and he was, and he was so open, he was surprised that he just missed it way long. But like, that was a situation where you're like, that's unacceptable. That needs to be a dunk by Michael Porter Jr. Like when you're kicking ahead to like one guy and that one guy's it's only him and one other defender back, shoot it. Who cares? But you know, they, they, they were getting to the rim generally when, when that, when the lanes were there and I thought everything else was just like, okay, they're moving the ball around. They're getting open looks and if they're missing, like I can't fault them for that. Like shot, like that's just basketball. Um, it really just goes back to what I said earlier in the show but we'll get to that, um, you know, again soon. Now let's go over to some comments here. Uh, Nadir says, Austin, are you going to ask Doc why he intentionally threw you reporters off? I sense a little bit of a tone here with Nadir. A, a, a little bit of like – What's the backstory? So Doc said last week, like, yeah, Furkan's going to be out of the rotation. It's going to be Isaiah Joe. He didn't say those exact words, but he basically kind of implied it. Okay. And, and and lo and behold, like three or four days later, I say I just going to the D League or the, the G League as they call it now. And Furkan's obviously going to be staying there. Oh, okay, okay, I see. <laughs> and I guess it might have been that like that like, the next, very next game he comes back and has 16 points in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess another component could be like, you know, that they, they they just sort of don't trust. Um, they, they, they don't trust Isaiah as much as they they, they previously did. But, I mean, it was a, a very crazy turn of events. So I'm sure that if I don't get to ask him about it, someone else will. Um, and I'm sure he'll have an answer like, you know, some logical, well-founded reason. Like, oh, I thought this, but then this, you know. I uh, feel like that that was probably motivated by either just wanting to get him more time, more, more touchable yeah. opportunities, or there's a trade on the horizon, which I think yeah. both are real plausible. I texted I texted somebody uh, who's close to the team, yeah. and I asked him, like about about like trade scenario. As I was like, does that mean that they're going to do a trade? Um, we'll discuss trades at the end. Yeah. It didn't seem like from what I had been told that it was like a trade was on the horizon real quickly, um, but who knows? Um, now I do want to uh, discuss Embiid's mini slump a little bit. Um, you know. 14 of 53 is not something we've seen from him too often. But over this last week, it feels like he has missed a ton of shots around the rim. I don't know if he's just trying to rush a little bit because he knows that like teams are going to be doubling him or like putting immense pressure on him down low. I, I don't know why. It feels like he's kind of rushing, and as a result, he's missing shots. But there are some times when he had really good, like he, 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 he like sealed off in the post, turned, and like just flat out missed. A lot of that, I thought a lot of that happened yesterday, um, even with even with the forty-one points. But the the, the Dallas game, uh, the Raptors games, it's like he just missed a lot of bunnies around the rim. Yeah, Joe got his shot opportunities, especially against Dallas. Uh, there were misses that were short, which might be indicative of a little bit of fatigue. Uh, he might not have his legs under him completely, but. I'm not worried about Joe at all. This is still the most valuable player, the most dominant player in the league at the moment, in my opinion. And it's unfair to hold Luka to this standard where we say, yeah, um, Luka just had an off night. Ben didn't clamp him. He was getting doubles all night. I saw people saying that. It's unfair to hold players to that standard 
but then get mad when Embiid has a 14 or 53 span where he's getting double or tripled every time he touches the ball. I mean, he can't even dribble into his positioning. He can't work into the post because there's two defenders on him as soon as he touches it. So he's really got one option. Get rid of it before this is potentially a turnover. Uh, Joe did get to some of the spots, and there were some misses from point blank that you normally see Joe make with 56 57% accuracy. Um, but like I said, I'm not worried at all. Aaron Baines has a 7-3 wingspan. He's tough. He's physical. And his game is predicated upon that physicality. Uh, he's a bruiser defensively. So he had a hand in Joe's face at all times. Pascal Siakam got physical. Van Vliet got physical. And in the Dallas game, uh, Boban might be might not be the most physical big, but he's got a long wingspan too. So Joe's like playing basketball with a, a nerve ball and a nerve net. Everything's easy for him. He's shooting over defenses. It's like a little children's game for him. But when you've got guys with 7'3", seven, 7'5", seven, seven, wingspans getting a hand in his face, uh, it's going to throw his game off. And it doesn't happen often, but that's what you saw. I still think it's huge that the Sixers won two of those three games, which he turned in his three-word shooting performances. For sure. Now, Brock, before we get into, into, into the game um, last night, the Cleveland, the Cleveland game, yeah. uh, obviously Ben hits the three at the end. And from what I could tell on Twitter, there were some people who were celebrating because they had won their parlay. There were some that were – there were many that were like, are you kidding me? That just cost me the parlay. Um, don't have to worry about parlays anymore with Thrive Fantasy Sports. Um, with Thrive Fantasy, you can, ha- you can hashtag – you can come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season – Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research before because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. I know NFL season just came to an end, but when that comes back around, choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. If it's NBA, MLB is coming around the corner. Spring training begins this week. Uh, PGA or even eSports. Choose five out of the ten player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. That's how it goes in life. Rack up the more, rack up the most points to win a share of the, the prize pool. Um, use promo code Simmons43. That's Simmons43. The word four spelled out F-O-R. Three, number three, Simmons four three. When you sign up today, and you will receive an, an instant deposit that match up to fifty dollars on your first deposit of twenty dollars or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store, or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. Now let's get into the uh, the last game of this week. We have the Cleveland game, and I, I got to tell you, that was an infuriating game. <laughs> um, I mean, as someone who tries to be an objective reporter, I can see why any fan would just be going crazy over that. Um, ultimately, when you're in first place, there's not a lot of games that are really going to be fatally, you know, going to, you know, warn you, warn you, no, wound you in a fatal way. Um, but that was a game that you looked down towards the end of the season that they're a game and a half back with three games to play. I could be a game like, like shit, that was the one to get. Um, and I just thought last night and that I think, you know, doc said it, Joel said it, Ben said it, they just didn't have energy last night. And that's been kind of a rarity this season for them. I think over the course they've, doc's been a really good job of, 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 of motivating them when they, you know, for games and bu- building them up. But in the past, obviously it was a major, major issue. They would play on the opponents pretty often and it would cost them. Um, but last night they were down basically the entire game. Um, and they got back into it. They took the lead late. They really couldn't build anything on like, on like consistent possessions. They got the lead and then they would come down Cavaliers would miss. Sixers would get the ball back, and they couldn't capitalize. They turn it over. They miss a shot themselves. So they really just couldn't put any kind of pressure or put you know put Cleveland on the ropes at all. And 
ultimately that really cost them in that game last night. And, you know, it was certainly a, a frustrating game, especially from a shooting perspective. Um, I think they shot – what did they shoot last night? That's what I'm looking for right now. It, it wasn't pretty. Well, Seth shot one of 13. Um, yeah, I think I think Danny Green and Seth were a combined four of 22. That's what I'm trying to confirm right now. Got to love that. Uh, so the Sixers as a team shot 38 of 84, so 45%. Uh, 10 of 28 from three, 35. Right on their average. Um, right on average. And, and they didn't make more than six first half threes. So most of those threes came in the second half. And between Danny Green and Seth Curry, the two of them made four shots on, I believe, a combined 22 attempts. Yeah, it was 22. Uh, Seth Curry, 12, uh, 13 shots. Danny Green, nine shots. Um, so, so, so that's really the problem right there. You have a game where Ben Simmons takes 17 shots. He hits 24 points. Uh, he goes to the line four times, eight re- or seven rebounds, eight assists, whatever. He, he, he had a good enough line. Joel Embiid, 42 points, right? He went to the line and took 16 free throw attempts on 60% shooting from the field. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons couldn't have done anything differently. Uh, there was a lack of energy. I think maybe this is a trap game. You played Dallas real well on national TV. Everybody loves Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid again. You've got Indiana coming up, who's a better playoff team and, and better position than the team the Sixers just faced. And they lose a game to Cleveland, who is who is a bottom barrel team at the moment. The, the energy wasn't there. Um, I'm not looking at this game as, as, a, as a source of concern because I've seen what I've had to see. Uh, the proof is in the pudding. I keep saying that this team is good enough physically and with their talent to bully anybody. They are a nightmare to match up with because if the Sixers break a five-on-five game down into one-on-one matchups, they're favorable for Philadelphia probably eight or seven or eight times out of ten. Tobias, Joe, Ben are going to attack the mismatch and win it probably seven or eight times a game. If the other Sixers on the floor can't capitalize when the Sixers produce these number advantages out in transition off a double team, uh, off of a turnover, they just aren't going to be able to win. The Sixers got to knock down those shots. To consider the other two players on the floor at the time, Danny Green and Seth, who are supposed to be those players to capitalize, went four of 22. That's just not going to cut it. So it doesn't matter how many free throws you missed, how many turnovers, this or that. You, you need to capitalize when those shots are there. Yeah, and you say that like like, like you know that you're not worried about them and that the proof is in the pudding. The proof that I saw I, I saw today says that they're a, a top five defensive team, which I think they're probably a little better than that, to be honest. I think their defense last couple of weeks has been really, 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 really good. Um, last night they they the teams were tied at ninety two uh, yeah, into the fourth quarter. And I mean, how often do we see that now where teams have a hundred plus points by the end of the third quarter? So mm-hmm. you know, the, I think their defense is getting really, really good. They're still an average at best offense, and that has to change. Uh, right. That 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 won't cut it. Um, and I know you're optimistic. I it just it, it's it's not going to cut it. It's it, it, I don't think it's like you're not being pessimistic. But I've seen people like people are calling the Sixers mediocre. I saw that. that. I saw that. Their roster is poorly constructed. It's like people just come up with this crazy shit, and the unfortunate thing is that everybody has a voice. Everybody has an opinion on social media. Now, that freedom of speech isn't unfortunate, but the unfortunate thing is we're talking about basketball here. And it's not football where people don't understand the X's and O's, or it's not baseball where people can't comprehend the box score. This is basketball. Everyone thinks they know the game of basketball. So everyone has an opinion. The Sixers aren't a poorly constructed roster. They're not a mediocre team. What you have is three players that are going to attack and win a mismatch almost every time. There's nobody that can guard Joel Embiid one-on-one. If Ben Simmons continues to play like this, where he wants it, he's applying pressure early, he's getting downhill with that cross and and, and his game in the post, there's no player that will be guarding him that can defend him. So when I say that, yeah, there's the Kawhi Leonard's or there's the occasional defender that comes around and, and, and shuts Ben down. But, I mean, how often are you going to get a defender that can lace up and stop a 6-10 freight train if he takes 17 shots a game? There's just not many defenders that could stop that. And Tobias Harris is 6-8. The position he plays at just generates some mismatches all the time. 
So he's going to be working on a 21-year-old, a 24-year-old, a 26-year-old. He's been in the league 10 years, okay? I don't know if this is true. This this just kind of threw my my, my uh, thought process off. There's a little breaking news nah. uh, rumor, but I'm not buying it. What I'm what I'm saying is the Sixers have three players that make matching up with them a problem. Okay, so all you have to do now is get either a consistent dead eye shooter to capitalize on those number advantages, or either a couple more bench pieces, right? And I think the Sixers are going to do that, but they don't have to take this back to the drawing board. They don't have to change their offensive philosophy or their approach. If they play the Lakers, if they play the Clippers, if they play Brooklyn, if they play Utah, they're going to have two of the three best players on the floor at all times against any contending team except those guys. But they need to get the guys that are going to capitalize on the threes so when they do play the Clippers, the Nets, Utah, those teams, they'll be able to create real separation. Or if LeBron's not on the floor, Mitchell's not on the floor, someone's not on the floor, their bench can create separation. But they're not a poorly constructed team. This is the this is the blueprint. You, 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 you've got the blueprint. This is what the good teams, the winning teams do. The Sixers are playing a copycat league. They're copying the blueprint. Their roster's not poorly constructed. They need a few minor tweaks. They're not mediocre. I'd argue that the second or third best offense in basketball based on how they attack. They're playing bully ball. No one else can can guard that. Uh, so, so people are just acting like this shit's the end of the world. Like, relax. There's 72 games. If you see problems with the bench, if you see problems with the shooter, trust me, the people in charge of this, the people that get paid to do this, they see it too. You don't have to tweet at them and bother them all day. They see it. It's their job. That's something that I, I find that so stupid. Like, yeah, he's not, it, it, it's not going to be the 511th time someone's tweeted at him raising, okay, I give up. Yeah, let's just trade yeah. everything. This guy said, I got to, he sent me an yeah. intriguing trade machine with the Kings. I'll call them up. Like, it's his job. This is how he feeds his family. If he see, if you see a problem, the GM sees it too. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that they're flawed in construction or that they're poorly constructed. Like I, I just I think that the skill sets align really well. Mm-hmm. I think they're somewhat flawed in maybe mental makeup. Like if for, for guys like Ben and Joel, you need people that are gonna be unconscious about pulling the trigger on on on, on outside looks. You need, you know, you, you need a team like the Bucks in some sense where they're just gonna shoot it and shoot it and shoot it and shoot it some more. Um, I think at times Tobias is good. And Tobias has been great. He was on my all-star list. Um, but he's at times a little hesitant from deep. Seth's really hesitant from deep. And I, I think you just need more three-point shooting from them. And if not them, go out and get someone like a J.J. Redick. It's not going to cost you much. Um, Willard Robinson, speaking of, of another trade target, Kyle Lowry. I can just tell you right now, um, I don't see a world where where Toronto wants to trade interdivision mm-hmm. to a rival interconference. I damn sure don't see it in a year where they have play-in seeds, where you have a chance to make the playoffs at, as the nine and ten seed. People are going to be in till the very last week, and I, I just don't see it. Um, I think it's going to be something like maybe Nemanja Bialica, um or. Uh, I think like JJ could be an option. I mean, the Pelicans are playing better. They're they're getting back into it. The Bulls are getting back into it. The dream of getting Zach Levine, I, I think, is now shot. Considering he's now like a certified All Star, he's now a real All Star, and you're not going to be able to pull like Danny Green, Matisse Thybul, Shake Milton, and some picks for yeah, for, for, for Zach Levine. It's just not going to happen. Um, I think Wayne Ellington could be an option for sure. Um, but you just need some guys that are just unconscious from deep. And um, I saw the tweet you're talking about. I, another, th- another thing that I saw was like so, a couple people have said they've now beaten two teams out of eight that are above 500. So like they're basically two and six against teams that are above 500. What if the Celtics win two in a row? They're above 500. And now you have four wins out of it's just a stupid game right it's it's a propaganda game that's what this media game is i mean you know it i know it all we're really doing is just spreading propaganda and we're trying to tell things straight and be objective and keep it real but there's people that are allowed to do that so it's like yeah they are two and six against teams that have 500 plus records or whatever 
And when you see that tweet, you're not going to think about those games. You're just, oh, two and six. They can't beat them. So it's a it's a fact, but it's also it's like a flawed fact in that if if like, like if if one of if one team like the Celtics win two games in a row, they're eighteen and seventeen. Now you've beaten three teams. Yeah, that are- what I'm saying too is like you might be like, well, one of those losses is the Denver Nuggets. Well, right. You don't remember yeah. what happened when the Sixers. Yes, yes, and you didn't have Embiid. It, it was it, like. When you see that, you just think, wow, two and six, they're not good against winning teams. And the person who tweeted it can use that to their advantage. Well, look, the Sixers have to – well, that's not the story. When they've played the Lakers, they, they looked like a, they looked like they could keep up with the champs who just won the finals, didn't it? When they played Utah without Joel Embiid, they almost put, put Utah in shambles and won that game late. Okay, so there's just certain things like, yeah, it's propaganda, but it's up to you as, as a viewer of it. To say I'm going to believe this, I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to take it serious. I'm not. It's it's up to you. Yeah. Um, but I, I just I think all of this overreaction is stupid, and it's just unnecessary. But so we do have a couple more topics to hit. Um, first is so when it comes down to it, like, can you continue to start Seth Curry and Danny Green? That's I think that should be enough right there to tell you, and you can't. So I think they're starting the, – the, the chemistry between the starting five is something I don't want to mess with. By the um, way, by the way, the starting right. five now has the number one offensive rating or no, the number one net rating of all five men – of all five-man units in the NBA that so, have played any kind of minutes together. That's why I don't want to mess with it because there's all these different roles. So what I think needs to happen is the Sixers need to find an upgrade for one of them, but it doesn't necessarily mean they have to trade him. I don't think the Sixers want to trade Seth Curry. He's not going to be in any trade talks unless it's a needle-moving player. Then Philadelphia, sure, they, they, they put anybody on the table. But I don't think they want to trade Danny Green either. I think he brings that veteran presence. He's one of the few shooters in the league who can have an 0-15 night and still take 20 shots the next game. And the role definition is crucial. Those are two players that understand I'm on the floor strictly to bail my teammates out. When there's a double team, I have to hit this three. I have to be in the corner. I have to pass it and space the floor. I have to pass it and cut to space. They understand their roles. So I don't think the Sixers need to trade one of them or even want to and go get a guy that's going to bring something completely different. What they need to do is get something or somebody, I should say, like Danny Green or like Seth Curry that can do all of those things and understand what they have to do just hit those shots a little more consistently. And if you do that, then maybe you move Seth Curry to the bench and all of a sudden your bench is a lot stronger now. Instead of scoring 20 a game, your bench now gets an 11-point boost. They might be scoring 30, 40 a game on some nights. You move Danny Green to the bench and it's a lot worse than having him start. You might be okay with Danny Green going three for eight off of the bench as opposed to as a starter from three. So I don't really think the team even wants to do too much. I don't think they want to trade Seth. I don't think they want to trade Danny Green, Shake Milton. But if they have to, they have to. Ultimately, though, I don't think that you can win a championship with both of them starting unless they're shooting unconscious. Like we both said, you, you got to be shooting unconscious with no second thoughts. But if you can somehow get like a Malik Beasley, which won't happen, or like a Buddy Heald or an Evan Fournier, I'm just giving names an automatic shooter that will shoot with no hesitation off of double teams. That's what I think makes them a championship contending team entirely. I think the Fournier thing's an interesting idea because they're pretty far below 500. Um, and he's going to be an expiring. That's an interesting idea. That might be something that they have in the books. Um, I'll have to check out on that one. But I think – so here's here's the way I see it. I think if you're going to – I think you can start one, but can't start both anymore – and I think the better one to keep is Seth, obviously, because he's younger um, and his contract is awesome. But with Green, I, I don't think he's the type of guy that you can like replace in the lineup and then also have him like actually play well off the bench. My guess is if you try to bench Green and for an upgraded player, he would like you would just see his numbers plummet. Um, and I, I think he's the kind of guy that he he's, he best fits as a uh, as a starter for whatever reason. So maybe they trade him and, and maybe they involve him in a trade package 
or what. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I just think the better one to keep in the starting lineup is Seth, and I think the one that you would be more inclined to maybe trade would be Danny. Um, but we shall see. Um, but I do think they have to upgrade that one of those spots. And I, I like the idea of Evan Fournier for them. Um, did you notice that they pulled drop coverage in overtime? By last night? Yeah. I thought that was the most ridiculous thing ever. Cause first of all, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton are tough. They're yeah. quick. They're herky jerky. They can dribble. They can burst. Uh, they can shoot it a little bit from outside. And they, they they were playing drop coverage, and they were just getting floaters and floaters and floaters. That's what the Sixers do, and they're comfortable there. That's what a lot of teams are comfortable doing. But I think when they play like a Damian Lillard, a Devin Booker, or Luka, what you're going to see is that double or, or that hedging when screens come. Because, like I said, if you're a point guard and you've got two dudes seven feet tall hawking you down, your vision is shot. Your lanes to the basket are shot. You have to depend on your teammates. So the Sixers – are forcing those points into bad decisions. Uh, last night they abandoned drop coverage, but uh, defensively, uh, last night was just a lack of effort, a lack of a lack of energy, and that's what defense is. It's all effort. Um, but I'm not overreacting. I've seen what I need to see. Fair enough. The last one uh, from Dion Fussell. Um, trade for Lowry and sign Cousins with a shake. Be Delty. Boogie. I think I think Brock might buy a jersey if, if Boogie comes. I, if Boogie is in Philly, I'm the first one to buy a jersey, no doubt. That's my boy right there. Uh, the, the, the only thing that complicates that is Dwight because Dwight's been awesome. He's been top three among bench players in offensive boards and total rebounds. He's top eight in blocks among bench players. So what he brings just in terms of his presence on the floor and off the court, uh, you need him in Philadelphia. and You need him on a championship team. Uh Boogie, is he a guy that can play the floor and stretch the floor like that? I don't know. And I don't know if he wants to be playing 12 minutes a game as a stretch four. So him and Philly might not make that much sense. Kyle Lowry, though, uh, at his best, is going to give you 17 a game, five rebounds, seven assists, two steals maybe. Uh, And during the finals run, those were his numbers. He shot 38% from three in the final. So uh, despite what the narrative was in his first couple of playoff appearances, uh, he was good enough, obviously, for Toronto to win a championship and he would make complete sense in Philadelphia. Like Austin said, though, Toronto, one of the hottest teams in the NBA in the past month. Uh, they're only getting better. His fit with everybody on that team makes sense. He had a good game. I think he had a triple-double and bought out the other night. Uh, so Toronto might not trade him. But if they do, uh, Philadelphia will definitely be prepared to offer. Like I said, you need to have trust in the guys that do this for a living because it's their job. So if they see holes, they're going to try to fill them. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that Boston hasn't already signed uh, Boogie. Well, Boston's uh, close to signing and trading for every player in the league. You know that they just yeah. missed they just missed every just miss every player. All right, they're close and always. How about, how about Boston, man? You would think a team with Kyrie, with Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward that that sounds like a championship winning team. That team that could that that team could be pretty nasty. I wonder what Boston would look like if they had all those guys. For sure. They already did. They didn't win anything. <laughs> well, he is Brock Landis. I am Austin Krell. can find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. can find him on Twitter at Landis Brock. Uh, you can follow the Feed <clears> to <throat> Embiid on Twitter at the Feed to Embiid. We're also on Instagram under the same handle. Uh, you can subscribe to the Painted Lines on YouTube to, get our, to, to find our show there. Apple Pods as well and SoundCloud. Uh, as always, we, we appreciate you all tuning in, and we hope you have the, a, a great rest of your weekend. Shout out to my mom. That is her birthday today. She is, she is the one responsible for bringing this gift to the world. So, Yo, how was the um, – real quickly, you got to elaborate on that alligator story because I saw that. I saw – I peeped that on Twitter, right? You were holding an alligator. That's my biggest – if you want to know what my biggest fear on the planet is other than heights, it's alligators, reptiles. I hate them. You don't like sharks? Are you you what you do like sharks? Sharks not a reptile. I know that that no, obviously. Not I'd rather run into a shark than an alligator. Really? Really? Because alligators, listen, they got I think the hardest jaw pressure in the entire animal kingdom. Have you ever seen a gator roll, bro? How the, would you, how, how the hell do you know that? Because listen, 
I gotta I gotta keep a pulse on everything. You got a stat for everything. You got a stat for everything. Alligator, alligator like you you ever seen a gator roll? If you haven't seen one, you gotta look up a gator roll. They're the nastiest move in the animal kingdom. Gators lead the lead the reptilian league with uh with jaw pressure. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, I mean, my I so my baby cousin's down here in Florida for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Going, to take, going to take her on some unusual adventures. So we took her on fan boat tours, and this they took us in this lake, and they were just like. They were, we, we saw four crocodiles and like, or four gators and like, in like a, in like a very small period of time. So it was, it, it was quite the adventure for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I ended up holding one. Uh, the guy, the guy, the guy was like, all right, I'm going to take the band off his mouth now. And then he opens, he takes the band off. The thing's not this opens all the way up. And you did. Yeah, alligators all. I'm telling you, they if they don't have the deadliest jaw pressure in the animal kingdom, it's one of. And a gator roll, bro, a gator will suffocate. Like, they will drown you underwater while simultaneously yeah. rolling your body like a rag doll and then eat you to shreds in a, in a musty-ass swamp. I don't like alligators at all, bro. I say, <laughs> the frequency of alligators and snakes in Florida keeps me away from that state. Fair enough. Brock, what do you, what do you got going on? I got a lot, actually. Um, uh, We just got a Roadcaster mixing board. Uh, so I'm, I'm planning to just be going crazy with the content. I want to do uh, a league recap every week. So we're going to see if we can pull that off. Still doing the breakdowns for the Sixers game. I got a big Ben Simmons piece with comps for the all-star game. Still the feed to Embiid. Uh, so there's going to be plenty coming. Just make sure to keep supporting and showing love because I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to keep that return on investment pretty high. There we go. I am obviously covering the beat every day in my life. So, that, so that's, Typically, most of my content, and then my weekly column for Last Out. So you can always find me there. As always, Brock Landis, Austin Krell coming to you for for the from the feed to Embiid. Stay solid, baby. Appreciate, appreciate support. We'll see you next week for another episode of the feed to Embiid.